Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Wednesday, October the 26th, 2022. We, as always, have been doing a lot of shows on populism, politics, and democracy, um, and the failures of democracy, the crisis of democracy. Yesterday, I did a really interesting show with the UK-based academic historian Vladislav Zubok on the fall of the Soviet Union. He has a new book out. It's uh, one of the finalists for a major new history prize, Collapse, the Fall of the Soviet Union, And Zubok and I talked about the failure of Gorbachev, um, Mikhail Gorbachev, to understand the nature of democracy, which accounts not just for the crisis of the Soviet Union's collapse or the sadness of its collapse, but the narrative of Gorbachev to Yeltsin and then, of course, to Putin. Um, and then this morning, I uh, did a show with Cody Keenan, the speechwriter uh, for Barack Obama. Uh, he has a new book out about uh, the speeches that he wrote for Obama. Uh, and talking to Cody, uh, he spoke and I guess in a way boasted about the popularity of Barack Obama, of his ability to reach into many Americans' minds and perhaps souls. Whether that makes Obama a populist or not is interesting. Uh, And that is indeed the subject of our show today. Um, Has Populism Won? The War on Liberal Democracy by Daniel Drach and Mark Froes. Daniel is joining us. Daniel, let's begin with a definition of this word populism, because it's a much misunderstood and quite controversial word. In your book, um, Has Populism Won? How are you defining populism? So the easy way to understand populism is that it puts, it's a a frame that to process political uh, uh, ideas and issues. And at the center, it uh, puts the people who are good and honest against the elites, which are evil and uh, untrustworthy. So the idea here is there's no talk about rights and responsibility, common purpose, national goals, policy, as we understand it, either through a frame of liberalism or conservatism or socialism or social democracy. But it's something very different. It's like a battering ram, a moral discourse in which the belief is that the people must destroy the elites and capture power. So how are they going to do this? Of course, it's through the authoritarian leader. So who exactly is a populist? Is Vladimir Putin, for example, a populist? We've done some shows on Xi Jinping. Uh, I'm assuming uh, that you define uh, Donald Trump and Bolsonaro and Erdogan and many of the other quote-unquote traditional populists in the world. Where does populism end and authoritarianism begin? Well, in, in, our, in our book, we look at 
populism is a new globalism, that there has been a kind of structural shift across the world so that populists uh, on the surface don't look like they share a lot in common. Modi, uh, for instance, uh, or Bolsonaro or uh, Orban, they're all very different in their personal styles, but they do share some common features. And uh, of course, uh, the, the first feature is the seizure of power through the use of hate speech and lies and a, a post-truth uh, strategy in which there is uh, no a kind of objective, uh, 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 no objective set of truths. Rather, of course, these are all to be interpreted and uh, the uh, big lie becomes the lingua franca to create uh, uh, popular, these movements of true believers. So it's very different, but they're similar in the, uh, in the abstract sense. Uh, when you look at India, yes, there are true believers. Yes, in Orban, in Hungary, yes, there are true believers. Or in Hungary, or in Poland, yes, there are true believers. Or in Brexit, yes, there are true believers. Or in the United States, apparently over half of the Republicans uh, polled in uh, believe that uh, Biden is not the legitimate president of the United States. So we can see that materially, uh, populists uh, have recast completely the political discourse of the last. 50 years. Yeah, I have to say, I'm, I'm not at all convinced by this. We did a show with uh, Edmund Fawcett a couple of years ago, a historian of political ideas. He has two books out, Conservatism and Liberalism, both excellent ideas. Uh, conservatism, the fight for a tradition, liberalism, the life of an idea. And on the show, uh, Fawcett explained to me that there's this continual debate perhaps war between conservatism and liberalism, uh, and suggests that whilst the liberals had the first move, he compares it to a game of chess, and whilst um, the liberals had the first move historically, today it's the conservatives taking the initiative. So to me, it just seems as if conservatism is reinventing itself for a globalized 21st century. And by bucketing Modi and Boris Johnson on Brexit and Le Pen and all these other new conservatives, you're simply suggesting that you don't like their politics and you're accusing them of populism and anti-democracy. Well, we did a, a similar show on, uh, on Steve Bannon uh, with Jen Senor, who wrote an interesting piece in the, new York, uh, in the Atlantic on Bannon. Um, I, I just don't buy the idea that they want to necessarily dismantle democracy. Well, they have different, different strategies when they're in power. So we have a lot of empirical evidence, for instance, of attacks on uh, the rule of law uh, and, and uh, the rule of law, particularly as it applies to uh, immigrants, political refugees, uh, uh, minority communities, gay and lesbians, among others, racialized groups in society. So it's not just conservatism, because in Canada and Britain, 
in an Australia, New Zealand. Uh, of course, there have been conservatives uh, for, uh, for a very long time. But these were conservatives who had a very different idea. You mentioned, uh, yeah. So, uh, so you can't you can't look at political uh, thought as some, as an abstract uh, something that transcends uh, history and time and place. So the question is, and I, if you if you've had a chance to look at our book, I think we make a very strong case that there's something very different about conservatism that's based on dog whistles on uh, the, uh, the use of hate speech. And in France... Yeah, I take uh, your point, but uh, Daniel, you know, dog whistling in America was invented in the 19th century. It was something that was refined and defined in some ways by Nixon in the 1960s, developed by Reagan. No one ever suggested that they wanted to dismantle democracy. You may not like them, you may not agree with them, but couldn't one simply suggest that you're defining populism as movements you simply don't like? No, I don't think so. I, I think as a, as a political scientist, I think what uh, should be fascinating and should uh, that, uh, two things. First, we shouldn't underestimate uh, uh, this new phenomenon. It's not because populism is new. It goes into the 19th century in Australia and Canada. Robert, but was, was, uh, it, it, was Nixon a populist in, 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 in your definition of the word, for example? I think in, uh, was, 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 was he principally uh, a populist? I think he used populism as a strategic device, as a wedge issue electorally. Um, and of course, the southern, southern strategy, which he pioneered, invented, was uh, a way he played the race card to uh, help him get elected. But I think we're dealing with something, uh, in all due respect, Andrew, something very different here, right? And I think that it reflects structural change in uh, across the world, where... Uh, uh, from 2016, is there was a conjuncture where you had mass immigration to Europe from uh, from the Middle East, and the whole issue of immigration and borders became suddenly issues which had uh, moved from the margins to the mainstream. And it is true that if you think about Umberto Eco and Hannah Arendt, in their work, right, uh, Umberto Eco says that within every society and maybe within every individual, there is this kind of uh, grievance, this kind of residual grievance-based uh, um, belief uh, and an attraction for extreme speech and an attraction for violence that lies in society. And in part of our research for this book, we went back and looked at Hannah Arendt's The Origins of Totalitarianism. Now, this was published in 51. And if you look at the last 30 pages of this book, quite dramatically, it's about populism. I, I actually... Uh, had read The Origins of Totalitarianism, but I thought, I guess, like a lot of people, 
uh, you get, you know, it's a long book. You, you might have uh, thought, well, the last 40 pages, uh, it's just more of rent on the origins of totalitarianism. But she has a very long and sustained and a very stimulating analysis of the relationship between populism, liberalism, and conservatism. So she didn't think that populism was just business as usual. And the reason for that, and, uh, and also this, uh, this the, 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 the emergence of true believer, is because in the Second World War, fascism in Italy in, uh, in Germany, and of course in, in Japan, which had a variant, it had been defeated and smashed. So people thought that this kind of violence-prone discourse and, uh, would, would had vanished because it had been vanquished. But this is not how it's turned out to be in uh, where we are today. We still haven't really explained why Nixon or Reagan is any different from today's populist. Well, you haven't also, let, let me come back to something. You mentioned Brexit. What, what's populist about Brexit? Some people well, wanted to remain, let, let me finish the question. Some people wanted to remain in Britain in the EU. Some didn't. Some people voted against it. They chose to leave. Isn't that what democracy is, the will of the people? What's wrong with Brexit? And, and how does that fit into Populism. I always hear Brexit and Trump and Putin mm. and Bolsonaro all lumped together, and they're so different. Well, for that, that uh, Andrew, I agree with you. They are so different, uh, and I think that uh, in our book, as uh, as populism one, I mean, we look at uh, thirty-five uh, movements and uh, government, and and look at how they have captured high office across the globe. So uh, we haven't seen such a convergence with, with highly differentiated movements since perhaps uh, full employment capitalism or monetarism was another moment of great realignment. So you might be right, right on in saying, well, uh, this is just the will of the people. Well, I'm not so sure that's the case. I think the result of democracies, I mean, the people you mentioned, Modi, even Bolsonaro, Trump, um, uh, they've all been elected, whether you like it or not. Well, it's not it's not that it's how they are elected. I think that's that's the the point in in uh, maybe the difference between us, because what we saw in when we looked at these populist leaders, we saw three things. We saw first uh, enormous organization and money uh, that, uh, and there are their links to uh, big media, to uh, television, to the internet. They're all masters of social media. Well, now you sound like it's, them. Now you're talking about media conspiracies. What's the difference? No, I don't. Media? I don't think. I think it's about the, about how power is is uh, is organized and exercised. So uh, if you look at the role in in Brexit, for instance, uh, the the uh, claims that were made around uh, the money that the Brits would save, or the how the 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 uh, national health service would be would benefit, or that it would create jobs and employment growth. All these claims have proven to be worthless. 
And in fact, uh, Britain is struggling, as we've seen uh, since since Brexit, to uh, has the worst uh, economic growth. It's it has a soaring inflation. It has many structural problems, which in losing your largest market, uh, of course, they've paid a, a terrible price for this, uh, as we as we can see. In so are you suggesting in, in the Brexit case, the reason why the people voted for Brexit was that the media was somehow controlled or manipulated or financed by dark forces? And in this sense, you sound as anti-elitist as the populists. I don't think so. I think uh, when you what, say what it's we, true, when they say it's myth, what are they saying is myth? Well, you 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 introduce populism as a conspiracy theory against the elites, which I think it ma makes some sense. But you're presenting, uh, in your interpretation of Brexit, a, a kind of populist explanation that the elites were in control and they financed and manipulated a series of lies. Isn't that the argument on the right, that the New York Times and the BBC and maybe Keenan, these are all uh, instruments of, of, of some elite? I mean, that's just the, Daniel, my point is, this is just the language of 21st century politics. Both sides accuse the other of it. Um, and, and that's just the nature of, of politics. I think it's uh, how how uh, power is used and create uh, used uh, in, in by uh, the people who have it. How it is uh, how they have bet, used power uh, for a variety of 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 uh, goals. One is wealth accumulation. We see this in the growth of inequality. If you ask me, sort of what what do I see? And what do we explain in this book about the growth of uh, populism, the, the this insurgency movement? I would say three things. It's a reaction to hyper-globalization and uh, growing inequality across the right. world. And we've done a lot of shows on that. And you're, of course, absolutely right. Uh, we did a show with Martin Sambu okay. of... Uh, of um, of the uh, of the the Financial Times talking about the issue of globalization and identity. We also did one with Yasha Monk on the same thing, the Great Experiment. So there's certainly some truth in that. But everyone lives in this world. Everyone in democracies live in a world of great transformation and uncertainty and anxiety, don't they? I think uh, how people live in the world. Uh, and how they experience anxiety is very different depending on where you are in the grand ladder of political economy. I think if you are a person secure uh, in uh, family and in, in professionally, income-wise, you feel your kids have access to uh, education and health, I think uh, you, you're right. You might f not feel a lot of anxiety. I think if you're at the other end of the, the ladder, uh, I think you feel a lot of day-to-day -day anxiety, perhaps not unlike George Orwell in, down in, out in London and Paris. And I think what is different today is the internalization of uh, this, uh, what I call the, the um, of anger, and uh, and 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 uh, fear, and this has become a, 
an integral part of a political movement. So if you go back um, 20 years, 10 years, the, the, the world economy and individual economy is very different. People's life opportunities was, were very different. But there have been these enormous shifts, which, is, which I think this anxiety about the future, about what is happening to them as individuals uh, and, and their families, I think has become politicized in a way that but it should be politicized, Daniel. It's a reality. It's one of the central realities in the world. In the upcoming election in America, for example, in 2024, let's just say Biden and Trump run against each other again. Uh, the white working class, who are as anxious as any other working class, will vote for Trump. The African-American working class and most of the Hispanic working class will vote for, for Biden. I don't understand why one is populist and one isn't. Well, I, I, what are the features of, of what are the, the principal features of populism? Uh, I would say it is this kind of dichotomous moral discourse of dividing. Yeah, now you're sounding really vague. Let me ask you a really simple question. Well, I don't think I don't think that's it's, it's well, that, that, that is vague. If if you're a, if you're a member of the, the black working class and you vote for Biden, does that make you less of a populist than if you're a member of the white working class and you vote for Trump? I don't. I don't think it's uh, categorization is the real issue. I think what is happening in the United States today is you have competing narratives, and that the uh, Democrats are in very deep trouble because uh, their traditional constituencies that you just mentioned, uh, Afro Americans and Mexicans, and other groups are there. They are moving from the traditional uh, democratic fold to the Republican. And these shifts are going to result, I think, in a dramatic change in American politics. Right, and I, and, I couldn't and, agree more. So, so it, it well, goes back to Ed, Edmund Fawcett's point about in conservatism and liberalism that traditionally the liberals had the first move, now the conservatives do. The conservatives are leading this new debate and eventually the liberals will catch up. But I don't understand why the radical politics of the right is populist and the radical populist, the radical politics on the left isn't. That's my no, no, beef. No, 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 no. Well, first of all, you know, in our book, what we say is that, uh, that if we had written a book uh, 20 years ago on populism, it would have a different there would be a different narrative because much of Latin America uh, had elected uh, populist uh, governments right. and, that, and they had a very different set of economic and political goals based upon uh, anti-poverty, uh, uh, anti-monopolies, repatriation of uh, foreign investment. Uh, a big focus on health and education being delivered on a, a non-profit basis. So if you say, well, who are the iconic figures of, of that period were Castro, Che in Chile, uh, uh, and many and uh, many others. Yeah, Castro had no pretense of, of, of being a Democrat. Let's, let's get to the heart of the issue, Daniel. Uh, Has I, populism won? Yeah. I think... 
for the what our answer is uh yes if we say uh has has it captured uh voters hearts and minds yes this is, what, is that a bad, uh, okay so is that a bad thing then the war on liberal democracy maybe the the problem is that liberal democracy simply isn't relevant anymore it's it's an ideology of coastal elites of highly privileged people and for most people populism is simply a much more relevant and attractive political idea whether it's a populism of the left or the right I think uh, what we uh, set out to uh, uh, explain is the way uh, cap, uh, way, way uh, uh, the authoritarian leaders are able to stoke uh, identity politics, uh, to bend uh, rules, to uh, launch, uh, to, to use the law to, to uh, change uh, to change people's uh, uh, position and and uh, in society, so I don't I don't think you can say uh, that they're just business as usual. You can't say they're like conservatives in Britain or Canada or Australia. There's something uh, different, and I guess what we have, what we have, what I focus on, and which you and I disagree is that you think it's just a simple act of well, but should casting we care? Why should we care if populism has indeed won? If, as you say, the politics of identity has won out, both on the left and the right, and people vote according to their skin color or their language or their perceived nationality, liberal democracy perhaps has proved itself to be bankrupt as an internationalist, globalist ideology. So, so shouldn't we be celebrating the victory of populism? Uh, I, I think uh, uh, for, for people who believe in the democratic pro project and community and cooperation and uh, that they would say, no, this, that uh, the attacks on the Ford, foreigners and uh, minority groups, that this it, it reflects uh, the undermining and the corrosive influence on our institutions, so I think um, I, I don't. I wouldn't say that. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say that this is a, a, anyway a permanent a victory. But when you look at the amount of resources uh, that the populist right has marshaled, of course they've built an ecosystem with support from the uh, internet, from uh, the mass media from uh, uh, a politics in which money floods the system. So this is not a simple choice people are making. Right, so let's assume I, yeah, I, I strongly disagree, but you know, what do I know? Let, let's end with, if, if indeed you're right, and populism is at least winning, if not won, and that the war on liberal democracy is a bad thing, how does liberal democracy defend itself? How does liberal democracy reinvent or modernize itself so that it can confront populism in a successful way? Um, <clears throat> the, um, there are different, different options here. None are, are particularly uh, that easy. Of course, uh, if the goal is to tow the populace out to sea, 
and to create a different kind of political, cultural, and economic order. Uh, of course, uh, in the political realm, uh, one option is to build uh, broad coalitions of uh, political coalitions to um, win uh, at the to win elections, and uh, you have to do this by uh, uniting. I think this uh, by uniting the center and the left side of the of the spectrum. So one of the victims of polarization is that the center of the political center has eroded and is much smaller and plays a less important role. So the, you have to have strategies to build these broad coalitions. The second is that the populace might destroy themselves through overreach and through uh, corruption and uh, and uh, and uh, ambition, and that they themselves are quite unstable. Not all the populist governments will, uh, I think, have a, have a long time in office, but they might be around for the next 10 years. I think that's a reasonable assumption. Um, so the, we're in a new period, and it take, there's a historical lag as people try to come to terms with what, what the, the populism, uh, what populism, the kinds of challenges it, it presents. But we can see already that in terms of uh, individual rights, in terms of abortion rights in many countries, in terms of uh, gay and lesbian or other, uh, in, other groups in society, they feel at risk, they may be deported, they may be imprisoned. So we, this is a period of tremendous turmoil. And I think this is very different from the conservatism that uh, you made reference to in uh, our conversation. This is a different type of conservatism and it has uh, large consequences for society. Interesting argument. I have to say, I don't agree, but... Uh... Well, listen, it's a good, You're a listen. political scientist. You've written this book. Has Populism Won? The War on Liberal Democracy. People should read it, make up their own minds. Congratulations, Stan, mm -hmm. on the new book. What else would you suggest people read these days? Well, uh, Lorenz, or Origins of Totalitarianism. I would add Lenin. People need to go back to Lenin. He understood power better than anyone. Well, you're a special guy. I would say uh, Stephen Marsh has a book on the coming civil war, which is- Yeah, Marsh has been on the show. He's a Canadian like you. Yeah, did you agree with him? I didn't disagree, although I'm not sure he makes your argument about populism winning. He talks about civil war, which is another issue. Yes. I like uh, Barbara Walters' book, Barbara- Yeah, Barbara F was on the show too. Yeah, I, I, um, I think those are, are different studies. I think our book it looks at uh, populism. It's unique because it looks as a global phenomena and not simply focused on Brexit or the United States, but they're obviously important parts of the big story. Excellent. Well, thank you, Daniel. I got to run, but excellent job. You held up under hostile fire very well. <laughs> Bye. <It was> fun. <laughs>